Spring is in full swing and summer is just around the corner. A great time for a beach getaway at the Oceanfront Boardwalk Plaza Hotel in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Enjoy the best of oceanfront accommodations and amazing dining right on the beach, both with great views of the ocean and boardwalk. Enjoy a soak in the heated indoor spa pool or book the adults-only concierge level and relax in the rooftop hot tubs. Book online at boardwalkplaza.com or call 800-33 beach thanks to the boardwalk plaza for being the bridge podcast network sponsor story jumpers welcome to another episode of your favorite storytelling podcast are you ready to hear a great story of course that's why you're a story jumper for too long the nation has been weak and divided for too long the ancient promises have not come to pass God's people need a king, a king to make them strong and lead them to victory. Everyone knows that. But who, who can rule these people? A man will be chosen. His son will make a devastating discovery. And an unsuspecting shepherd boy will find himself thrust into the middle of the struggle for the crown. Through plots and betrayals, songs and battles, and love and friendship, a nation waits to see what kind of warrior will take the throne. Enjoy this reading of The Songs of a Warrior by Katie Morgan. Chapter one of The Songs of a Warrior is called The Boy with the Bow. There was a rock dove in the tree. It was plump and purplish, and looking happily away into the distance. The boy on the ground beneath it was slowly raising his bow and carefully sliding an arrow out of his quiver. Gently, Jonathan, he told himself, keeping his eyes fixed on the dove. He did feel a little sorry for it as it ruffled its feathers in a self-satisfied sort of way and clicked its beak. Poor silly bird, at least its last hour had been a happy one. The arrow was out. He notched its feathered ends to the bowstring. Jonathan had made this bow himself, and it was a good one. It was small, just a hunting bow, not as big as the ones he'd use in battle. He had been practicing with his grandfather's old war bow, but he couldn't bend it far enough to shoot it. Not yet. But this one was just right. His feet were firm. His hands were steady. He closed one eye and drew the arrow back. Then. Suddenly, the moment was lost. Somewhere behind Jonathan, a sheep bleated. All at once, the rock dove panicked and took off in a flurry of feathers. Not its last hour, after all. Jonathan groaned. Where had a sheep appeared from? Now he would have to go home empty-handed. He turned round. There were three of them, all craggy old ewes with soft muzzles and dirty fleeces. They looked at him indignantly as if he had no right to be there. Jonathan looked at them back. You're in my way, I'm not in yours, he said. He wondered who they belonged to. It would be odd to bring sheep into the woods deliberately. Had they got lost? They must have come up the hill. He'd better chase them back that way. He had time. His grandfather, Kish, had said they had to leave for Mizpah at noon. And judging by the sun, he wasn't late yet. His stomach squirmed. Today was the day. He'd been looking forward to the assembly at Mizpah for weeks. And now, at last, the day had come when... But Jonathan's thoughts were interrupted by a shout. Someone was calling out for help. 
someone at the bottom of the hill beyond the edge of the wood. Without hesitating, Jonathan ran at the sheep, waving his bow in the air. Yah! They jerked back, then lowered their heads and thundered away downhill. One of them almost got caught by the lower branches of a thorn tree, but she shook herself loose and followed her companions. Jonathan followed too. His eyes took a moment to adjust to the sunlight as he left the wood. But soon he was watching the sheep race down to the valley bottom, and there was the boy who'd shouted. He was still shouting and waving frantically. He was about Jonathan's age, and he had two more sheep at his heels. What had happened? Jonathan set off running down the hill, sending small rocks tumbling as he did. He jumped from side to side to avoid them, took on speed, skidded down the last steep slope, and arrived at the bottom with a heaving chest and a wide grin on his face. He liked running. But the shepherd boy wasn't smiling. Did you see them? He said urgently. Did you see where they went? Who? The sheep? The thieves! The boy's dirty face was streaked with tears. My master will kill me. They're all gone. Some men came and took them. I couldn't stop them, but I can't go home with just five sheep. Don't worry, Jonathan interrupted gently. Those three were up in the woods. Maybe others will have escaped as well. Is this the direction the thieves came in? How long ago did they take them? Not too long. Maybe half an hour ago. The boy was calming down. He focused on Jonathan, grasping his arm. You're Kish's grandson, aren't you? Can you help me? I'm Oren. I'm only a shepherd, but... His eyes were pleading and eager. I'll help, Jonathan said. Then he hesitated, glancing up at the sky. But I've got to go soon. We're going to Mizpah. To the assembly, Oren's eyes widened. Then you better not help me. You can't be late for that. Not when... It was too huge a thing to say out loud. But Jonathan finished the other boy's sentence in his own head. Not when God is going to choose a king for us. He looked at the sky again. It wasn't noon yet. I have time, he decided. A bit anyway. Oren nodded, suddenly becoming businesslike. If I keep these five together, will you run ahead? Look for the others. You're a good runner. Jonathan grinned and sprinted away at full speed. His sandals left clouds of dust behind him. But he didn't find any of the other sheep. Maybe they'll just wander home, he told Oren encouragingly as the two of them trailed back towards the town. Some of our donkeys went missing a couple of months ago and they returned. But your donkeys weren't stolen, were they? said Oren gloomily. They just got loose, I heard about it. He kicked at the dust. Briefly, Jonathan wondered what Oren had heard about the donkeys. His father, Saul, had gone to find them, but they'd wandered back while he was gone. Kish had raged, that useless son of mine, he's probably halfway to Jabesh Gilead by now, and all the time the stupid donkeys were under his nose. Jonathan's cheeks went pink as he remembered. It wasn't a good feeling, thinking your father might be useless. My master will kill me, said Oren. He hits me when I mess up just small things. At that, Jonathan forgot his father and grandfather. He wished he and Oren had been able to find the sheep. Fiercely, he said, this is why we need a king. He'd stop people stealing and and people beating up their servants. Maybe, replied Oren dully. They'd reached the edge of Gibeah. Jonathan squeezed Oren on the arm and the other boy trudged disconsolately away. Jonathan followed the opposite path, looping around the low flat hill that supported the main part of the town. In front of him lay his grandfather's fields. They were bare and brown at the moment, ready for ploughing. 
Then there was the house and the green rolling hills with Kish's sheep grazing on them. Jonathan smiled contentedly as the sun found its way through a crack in the clouds and filled the valley with brilliant colour. Then he gasped and broke into the, to a run. The sun! It was past noon! He was going to be late! He got away with just a raised eyebrow from Kish, who was standing impressively outside the house, his arms folded over his thick sheepskin coat. Abner was next to him, equally broad-chested, but brown-haired instead of grey. Abner was Saul's cousin, Kish's nephew. Jonathan's father, Saul, came out of the house. His tall frame was swaddled in a cloak, the richest one he had. There was fur sewn around its neck. He had put oil in his hair and rings on his fingers. Jonathan, he exclaimed, you're here at last. His eyes slid uncertainly to Kish. You're late. Kish said nothing, so Saul didn't say anything else either. A servant came round the house with the donkeys, and Jonathan hurried inside to get changed. He had to wear a heavy coat like his grandfather's, which he could already tell was going to be itchy and too hot. He had an embroidered cap over his hair and proper boots instead of sandals. His sister Merab handed him a thin gold ring. Grandfather told me to give it to you, now that you're one of the men. Her voice was sarcastic, but Jonathan ignored that. She was right. He was one of the men now, going with his father and grandfather to represent their family and clan and tribe at the great gathering of all Israel. Right now, it was the house of Kish, and then it would be the house of Saul. But one day, people would talk about the house of Jonathan, who was not only an excellent hunter, but also owned hundreds of sheep and treated all his shepherds with respect. Or, he thought excitedly, Jonathan, the right-hand man of the king, the king God chose, the one who rules over all 12 tribes of Israel. He slid the ring onto his finger. It was too big, but he didn't let Merab see. Outside again, the donkeys had been spread with fine fabrics and leather saddlebags. Mizpah was close enough that they could have walked there, but that would have looked cheap and unimpressive. They were going to take donkeys and five servants, and everyone would know that the house of Kish was one of the best families in the whole tribe of Benjamin. Michal, Jonathan's other sister, had twined herself around Saul's arm. When will you be back? she asked. You were gone for ages and ages last time. Saul shook her off. Soon, he said, and climbed onto his donkey. Michal transferred herself to Jonathan. She was six years younger than him and much skinnier. Her bony arms clung tightly around his waist. Jonathan squeezed her back. See you later, he whispered, bending to touch the top of her head with his chin. I can't wait to tell you all about it. Her dark head nodded and she stood back, letting him get onto his donkey. Ready, growled Kish. Let's go, answered Saul. Story jumpers. Doesn't that sound like an exciting introduction to the story of how King David eventually reaches the throne? Well, I'm here with somebody who can tell us just a bit more about where the story is going to go and what research she did to come to this exciting point in the story that she's telling. Welcome, author Katie Morgan. How are you? Hello. Yes, I'm very well. Very happy to be here. <laughs> well, it's great to have you here on Story Jumpers. And I'm wondering right out of the gate, what made you want to retell Bible stories as chapter books? Yes, it's a good question. You know, I there are lots of reasons. I mean, the main reason is just that I really love the Bible and I really love writing for this age group. And so it seems like the obvious kind of thing to write about. Um, 
I guess one thing that really inspired me was, surprisingly, was um, going to the cinema to see Frozen 2, the second Frozen film, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> this was a few years ago. And, uh, and I was trying to think about why did I enjoy it so much? Why was I so happy to go and see Frozen 2? And it struck me that I had really enjoyed getting to know the characters and getting to know the world in the first one. And it struck me that that's what, that's what children want to read about. That's what adults want to read about a lot of the time as well. We want to immerse ourselves in a world that, we, that comes to life for us as we read. Um, we want characters who feel like our friends, um, feel like people that are real and that we could know in real life. Um, but then it also struck me that kids, uh, we all read loads of books that get us into different worlds. But oftentimes we end up knowing more about the world of Harry Potter or, I don't know, Earthsea or Narnia or whatever else it is um, uh, than we do about the Bible and the Bible's world. And the Bible, you know, the Old Testament particularly is, uh, and the New Testament, you know, the Bible times are so different from our own that I thought, well, why not spend, spend some time helping children to explore that world and feel part of that world and get to know those characters and get to know the Lord um, and the Lord Jesus um, in that in a form that's fun and engaging and interesting and kind of along the lines of other things that they've read. Well, that's quite a um, challenge. So I hope that it's a, I hope that, that makes it a fun read, right. but also a kind of very interesting read. I can imagine the challenge before you to do that. I mean, you're correct in that the world was completely different um, you know, two to 3000 years ago, you know, when we're looking at the time period, uh, you know, just the culture was different. The region was different. The ways that they interacted with one another was different. All these things that storytellers call world building. Um, you, you don't have a chance to convey a lot of that in the Bible. So unless you do a lot of research to learn about that time period, um, you're not going to be able to immerse yourself in that world building. So it's a big challenge that you've taken on, but I think that you've executed it well. You know, it comes across as an immersive world that seems alive and that we can enter right into with the characters. So that's, you know, that's ex an exciting way to approach the Bible for sure. Yeah, thank you. Well, how do you balance creating that gripping narrative, something that's going to want us to like keep returning and continue reading until the end? How do you balance mm. that with staying true to the actual scripture? Yes, and this is hard because, uh, you know, to some people, they open the Bible and it seems kind of boring, um, particularly in parts of the Old Testament where there's big, long lists of names <laughs> or kind of geographical places that you don't know where they are or, or long them. speeches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, but actually, I think if you if you really stop and pause and think about uh, what was going on? It is really exciting, just already. Um, so, um, uh, for example, I, there's part of the story in this book where King Saul um, makes a sacrifice um, that he's not supposed to have made, and basically, he he God has told him to wait before making the sacrifice and then attacking the enemy. Um, but he doesn't. He makes the sacrifice and then goes ahead and this is like this huge moment in this story and this is what makes Saul, God very angry with Saul 
And you kind of read that and you think, okay, yeah, it's a sacrifice. He shouldn't have made it, you know, bad souls, silly soul. But actually, if you if you read it carefully and you look up the, the places that are referenced in the story and you kind of do a bit of digging, you realize that this is a very exciting, very tense moment uh, because, you know, the, this enemy that Saul is facing have kind of invaded, like, most of his land. All his soldiers are uh, kind of running away because they're too scared. So it, he must have felt like, you know, this is now or never. I've got, a, I've got no choice. Um, so, of course, he did have a choice. But I think what my what I was trying to do was kind of excavate those exciting moments, which maybe don't strike you as super exciting the first time you read it in the Bible. But actually, if you think about it and do a little bit of work, you find that they are really exciting. Um, and of course, there are there are still some moments. You know, there are some parts of the story that are naturally more exciting than other parts of the story. And I freely confess that I tended to spend more time on the more exciting moments and less time on the um the less the less interesting moments i guess um but what i what i was very aware of was that you know i've read lots of historical novels for example or seen biographical films that talk about the past and then you look it up afterwards and you find out that actually they they made this part up or you know this character was actually kind of a made up person representing multiple different people mm. or this event was kind of combined with that event and people have tried to sort of, you know, cause real life is messy and so, and complicated. And so storytellers try to, you know, smooth, smooth it out and miss bits out and make stuff up. And I was very, very clear that I didn't want to, uh, certainly didn't want to make stuff up, um, that, that, that was incompatible with the story. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, certainly didn't want to change characters. Um, uh, and I, I added a like a notes section at the back, which explains some of the decisions that I made, and kind of I'm hoping that that will make people go back to the Bible and think, God, did that really happen, or is that a bit that she kind of made up? Because I obviously had to make some some bits up because sometimes you don't get told very many details. Yeah, but so yeah, I was trying to balance the kind of keeping faithful to the Bible story and thinking, asking questions of the Bible story thinking about the characters and what they might have been feeling and thinking mm. um and trying to be consistent with the, the story that the bible tells um w yeah while kind of balancing that into a into a story that you can keep track of as a reader yeah you do have to put yourself in the shoes of the characters and live those moments with each one of them as you're developing the story to tell to others and so as you're living out the moments that they would have lived out, you know, in your imagination, referencing the mm. Bible for guidance, you you get to know them better. And you also get to think through how you might react if God said to wait for that sacrifice. God often tells us um, to wait on certain things. I've mm. got a better outcome for you. Follow what I'm telling you and wait. And then oftentimes he also tells us to go. Now's the time to move. Now's the time mm. to act, but we've got to be willing to listen and, and be patient or move when it's time to move. And so when you were researching the book and when you were developing these characters to tell the story that, that is in the Bible, which of those characters in the story did you most identify with? Which one kind of jumped out at you or were you most able to see yourself, you know, living out that life? 
Hmm. I think, I don't know why. I, I think Jonathan, who's the, the son of King Saul, was the character that I found the easiest to imagine being. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I felt like I knew who he was right from the beginning of when I was writing. Whereas David, it took me, it took me a much longer time to kind of reading and reading it and reading it and reading it and mm. thinking, who is this guy? <laughs> uh, what's going on with him? What's, what are his motivations? What's his personality? Um, but Jonathan kind of clicked with me. Mm-hmm. And I think some of my favorite moments in the story are Jonathan moments. Um, we don't, um, often we don't hear about Jonathan. We don't get taught about Jonathan very much. We kind of know that he was David's friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is kind of set up in the story as if, like, he's going to be the next king. Yeah. Um, you know, we know that Saul is, is, is not God's choice and is, and is kind of being rejected. Um, and then Jonathan is presented as this very godly, very wise kind of action man, you know, great leader of the people. He defeats the enemies. You know, he's absolutely marvelous. Um, but, but then it turns out that's not, he's not God's choice. He seems like the obvious choice, but actually it's David that's God's choice. And there's this beautiful scene where Jonathan kind of, kind of sees that. Um, and it's after David has killed Goliath. Um, and Jonathan kind of picks up his, his tunic and his sword and various other things. And he gives them to David. And they don't exchange many words, but it seems. But it's kind of this very symbolic moment of like, this is my, you know, I'm a prince and I've got all this nice clothing and fancy sword and whatever. You know, you can imagine he had the best of the best. Um, and he gives it to David, you know, saying, you're the, you're the king. I'm, I'm lesser than you. I know that God has chosen you. Mm. I think that's a kind of a picture of what we all have to do in a way with in our faith is is to is to say to Jesus, you're my king, you're the one that God has chosen. I'm not in charge. And like you were saying, to listen to God and to obey what God has said means not being in charge of our own lives all the time. <laughs> um, and so I think Jonathan for me is a real symbol of of that that choice. Hmm to follow somebody else rather than to be the main person. That's wonderful to pick up on that and to be able then to convey it and bring us along as we're reading and seeing, you know, those emotions being lived out, those decisions being wrestled with. That's really, um, that's really wonderful. So um, we only got a snippet of the book. We only got to hear a little bit, which was exciting, but um, you mentioned the scene in which David kills Goliath. Are we going to cover that in this book or is this a series that you're rolling out? Um, I know this is it's all in one book. So um, I've I've I hope that I will write more Bible retellings. I've written another written a, another one that's a Christmas story. I hope I'm going to write more as well. But the whole David story is all in one volume for you to enjoy. So yeah, so we get David and Goliath. Um, that's one of the best bits, in my opinion. Uh, well, it's, everyone knows it's the best part of the story. Yeah. But I think it was part of the story that I, one of the parts that I enjoyed writing the most. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I think I was, I wanted to make it all one book rather than doing a series. Because you could, there's so much in the story oh. that, in the Bible, that you could make it into a series. Yeah. But I, I think I, I saw it very much as one story. At the beginning of the story, 
the people are asking for a king. Um, and and there's a sort of question about, you know, what is this king? What kind of king do we want? What kind of king do we need? Um, who's going to be that king? And and ultimately, the the question is really answered in the in Jesus. He's our king. Um, he wasn't the king at that time specifically, but he was the king that he is the the person that that, that answers that question. And so I, I and David is promised. There's a promise that's made to David, which talks about Jesus. And so I wanted to do the whole arc from that question of who's going to be our king, all the way to that promise. Um, there's there's going to be a king. He's going to come. He's going to be the best king ever. Wow. Um, and get across that that message that he's the one that we're looking to. You know, we're enjoying all this Old Testament detail and the fighting and the armor and the battles and the hiding in caves and, you know, all kinds of different things. And it's really fun. But ultimately what we're looking forward to is the Lord Jesus. That's wonderful. Now, I can only imagine that you've done a lot of research. Of course, your your Bible reading is solid. You, you were spending plenty of time in the scripture. Mm. But then I'm sure there was a lot of other research that you had to do. I don't know whether you traveled there to see any of the locations or if you just relied on video and images that you could get online, but what, yeah, I wish I could, I wish I could have traveled. Yeah. Maybe one day I will. <laughs> <laughs> what interesting things did you learn when you were researching the story? Mm. Well, I spent a lot of time looking at maps and yeah, and images of the, the terrain and that kind of stuff, trying to figure out what was, what was the land like that they were in and what was life like? And I don't know what, what type of thing was growing, um, what kind of animals were there and all that kind of stuff. Cause I think you, you know, you, you get, you, you hear about David hiding in the wilderness or um, in the new Testament, John the Baptist going being in the wilderness. And I, I always imagined that as like the Sahara desert, right. you know, like just, <laughs> just a big flat expanse of sand with maybe some dunes. Um, right. But it wasn't that, that wasn't what it was. Um, it was it was more like a rocky kind of wasteland with lots of crags and cliffs, and um, so that that was very interesting to me. Mm. I think my favorite thing that I found out was about the Philistines, who were the big enemy. Um, they they there's been like a a relief carving, like a stone carving found in Egypt, I believe, um, which. Uh, which depicts the, Philist the Philistines. Um, I don't know how we know that it's the Philistines, but apparently we do know that. Um, and they're wearing these funky headdresses um, that with kind of like tall things sticking up from their heads, which are possibly feathers, um, like a, almost like a Native American headdress. Oh, okay, okay. Um, uh, or possibly they were kind of reeds or like, you know, like tall grasses. Okay. Um, uh yeah and so they must have been incredibly intimidating to see you know because they must have looked like they were seven feet tall as they came down the down the valley or whatever towards you with these huge headdresses which i imagine were dyed um some garish color and right. i imagine they were dyed red um uh yeah i found that really interesting it helped me to visualize what was going on and what it might have been like yeah, you've got a great uh, yeah. imagination to be able to take something that you read or see in, in a history book or scripture in the Bible and to be able to breathe life into it that is so um, almost tangible, that you can almost mm. see, feel, touch, and sense 
And so you do a great job of bringing that to life for us as readers. It's really, really wonderful. Um, what, what would you say your favorite part of, as an author, the favorite part of the writing process? What, what do you like most? I'm sure there's some story jumpers who would love to try their hand at writing someday. Yeah, I think my favorite part is when, I mean, it isn't always like this. Sometimes it's very hard work, <laughs> but sometimes it just feels like you're sitting down as you're writing. It just feels like you're sitting down to spend some time with your friends, mm. um, with people that, you know, like I, I would look forward to it, um, as if I was looking forward to spending time, you know, having a nice evening with some friends. Um, it, it, yeah, just kind of that sense of being totally immersed in this scene as if you're there. Um, somehow, somehow it, sometimes it feels like you're discovering something or watching something and it's kind of just happening in front of you and you're just writing it down rather than that you're kind of creating something. And other times it really does, it feels like you're creating and it's very hard work and you're trying to figure it out and there's lots of questions that you haven't got answers to. Um, but I think my favorite moments are, are where it does feel like um, it just flows and it feels obvious. Um, and I think that comes particularly when you are so familiar with your characters that you just know what they would say or you know that what they would do. You know that this person would say this and this person would, would say that. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a very special thing to have that almost like a relationship with your characters. Mm. That's wonderful. Well, thank you for taking the time to meet and get to know those friends and then to share them with us as readers. Now we can go along with you and see the adventure, live the adventure, and maybe learn a little bit more about how God wants us to lead our lives and follow him as the king, right? So Yeah, I hope so. Thank you so much, Katie. Would you please come back and visit Story Jumpers again if you have another book come out? Yes, please. Okay. I would love to. <laughs> well, we'll look forward to seeing you soon. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Parents, Katie Morgan is the author of novelistic Bible retellings for ages 8 to 13, as well as other resources for children. She's also an editor of Christian books for all ages at The Good Book Company. Katie studied Latin and Greek at university and loves to imagine what it was like to live in the past. Another of her favorite things is helping kids and young people to explore the Bible. Learn more about her books when you visit her website at katie-morgan.co.uk.